the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this 10th day of January 2024. Broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building. Panhandle Live, as always, driven by Country Roads, Tire, and Auto. Busy show today as we deal with uh, a little bit of the aftermath from the significant rainfall and snow that we had over the last couple of days. I'm Luke Wiggs, Marsha Kavalik in studio. And uh, Marsha, if you weren't able to catch it on the sports show, and if our listeners weren't able to as well, um, unfortunately we weren't able to find out until we got up to Hagerstown yesterday that the game that we had planned on covering was canceled. And I say that to say, torrential downpour Mm -hmm. going to and from 81, probably basically all day yesterday, but it really picked up when the sun went down. And I saw a lot of standing water through Hagerstown. We got off uh, at Williamsport because we had to get down and around a wreck on 81. Uh, standing water is becoming an issue in a lot of places across the eastern panhandle. And, you know, there's more updates I'm sure we're going to have to provide as the day goes on. Absolutely. We might see some historic flooding on the Opecan Creek. But to give us the drill down, uh, our friend Jefferson County Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, Deputy Director Dick Myers joins us via phone. Welcome in. Good morning. Good morning. So you guys must have been on like an all call because I was trying to call all kinds of EMS folks this morning, not as an emergency, but just uh, to get some folks on the show. And no one was picking up. That's because they didn't want to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I don't blame them on a day like today. No, we we actually are kind of busy. But um, yeah, speaking of standing water, I was actually on my way home last night. And of course, I drove around just to see if we had any issues here in Jefferson County, and the only problem, and it really wasn't a problem, it wasn't even over its banks or anything, was the Opecan Creek there by the um, Bowers Road. Um, but, you know, aside from that, there wasn't hardly any issues. But like I said, on my way home, I was, of course, I live in Morgan County, so I was going down Route 9, and somebody apparently hit a power line or a power pole and knocked it over, and traffic was backed up uh, all the way well, I guess close to Hedgesville, but they were turning everybody around. So I'm not sure exactly how long that was closed last night, but I know it was for several hours. So I had to make a trip over across the uh, mountain there at Shanghai to come back into Morgan County. Just oh. home. Either that or I had to go down 70, and I figured, well, that was the closest route. But you were talking about standing water and you know, getting back to that. It was like, you know, with the fog and, you know, with your headlights hitting that snow and everything, it was kind of hard to see, and it's like, I ran into quite a bit of standing water last night going home, especially on uh, Winchester Grade Road after I got off of the mountain. Right. So I, I understand uh, Winchester Grade Road and a few places in Morgan County have, has had flooding. Shanghai has just been a hot mess today. Um, Buck Hill Road in Berkeley County. And, of course, um, your office uh, released some information from the National Weather Service about Opecan Creek, which intersects with the roads here in our county and in Jefferson County in a few places. And uh, my understanding from the report that you guys released is that at 2.30 this morning, it was at 9.5 feet. Flood stages 
at 10. It's expected to crest this afternoon at 11 and a half feet, which hasn't really been seen since the 90s. Um, I live on the Opecan. I looked at it uh, late last night before it got really dark, and it was already looking floody. Yes. Yeah, and I, I would like to say coming to work this morning, whenever it was daylight, where I could see where last night I really couldn't. Um, coming there back across Back Creek, uh, Creek there in Morgan County, um, it was the same way. It was already over its banks, and the Apecan was the same way. Um, but the good for the fortunate thing about that is, you know, by Thursday or by I guess this afternoon or later on in the day, it's going to start dropping. Um, you know, with, of course, depending on what happens on Friday, it might raise up a little bit more. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to you know get up to that 11 and a half feet, even if we do get the weather on Friday. So we know there was a, a fatal accident in Jefferson County yesterday. Not sure if that was related to the weather, but uh, how busy were the roads yesterday during the rain event? It wasn't too bad. I mean, it was normal. Uh, and I'll use this as an example. Uh, coming to work, you know, we thought that... Uh, of course, we have our weather calls, you know, what they call school calls, like at 8 o'clock at night, whenever we have any kind of severe weather. And we weren't supposed to get any kind of snow because it, it was supposed to stay warm enough. But whenever I looked at, like, 6 o'clock to make a decision to contact our county administrator and our county maintenance first, you know, people, just to find out, you know, do we need to make a little work or two-hour delay or anything like that? And it's like... Nothing's happening. So, of course, all the school buses and everybody are out and about. And then, and I'm just using Morgan County, but I got ready to come to work. And next thing I know, I look out, and we've already got a bunch of snow coming down to beat the band. Um, so we ended up having about an inch or inch and a half of snow before it actually changed over to rain. And was that in Morgan County as you were heading to work? Yes. Okay. And it didn't clear, well, whenever I say it didn't clear up, it didn't start turning to rain until after I got almost to Hedgesville. So, you know, the roads were slick, and there was several accidents, you know, in Morgan County. I know you were talking about going to Hagerstown because um, my wife works in Clear Spring, and she was the same way. It took them about an hour to get from Berkeley Spring to Clear Spring, which is normally only about a 20- or 25-minute ride. Well, obviously, simple advice for motorists. You know, if you see standing water in the road and you're not sure how deep it is, just to avoid it. But for the Opecan specifically, you know, what would potential trouble areas look like in, you know, Berkeley and Jefferson and Morgan counties? If it goes over the banks, you know, where would you guys expect it to, to impact uh, roadways the most? Um, for Jefferson County, most of ours would be around the Bowers Road area. Um, but in Berkeley County, and I'm not 100% familiar with a lot of the roads in Berkeley County, but I do know like the Douglas Grove area, maybe Payne Ford Road, you know, those type of areas. Right, and Grapevine, uh, et cetera, and the, the um, Van Meter, and yeah. uh, uh, as you mentioned, Bower Road, because that's so low um, that the the uh, creek can get up there pretty quickly on a, on a good day. Uh, so... What are you guys looking for as the afternoon progresses? Because obviously some of this, um, the, the weather system, the results of that will feed into the Opecan from the little feeder streams. Uh, it's looking at as though it's going to be 11 and a half feet, uh, which is, a, you know, well above flood stage. Um, so di- will this dissipate pretty rapidly since we're not getting more precipitation? Yeah, once it, and what will happen, you know, just like anything else, it all runs downhill. So with, 
and I'll use, you know, in Morgan County, of course, it comes from Hampshire all the way down, especially like on the Potomac. So all those, you know, streams and, you know, runoff from that all come into the rivers, whether it be the Potomac or the Shenandoah. Um, and, you know, the Shenandoah right now, we're at like only 4.5 feet or 4.85 feet, and it's going to go up to um, 9.7 through Thursday. So, like I say, it takes a while for it to come down to get to that point. But then it's going to dissipate, you know, Thursday afternoon in the Shenandoah. Um, in the Potomac, right now we're at 8.64 feet, and it's going to get to 13.7 by Thursday morning, and then it will start to, you know, drop from there. So will that cause some issues in Morgan County? Um, it shouldn't cause too much issue in Morgan County. You might have some issues possibly in Paw maybe. They're at the low-lying area. Gotcha. But other than that, you know, most of the issues we have in Morgan County, and the only reason I know this is because I used to be the emergency manager there and had to deal with it, is the Warm Springs run downtown. Um, You know, we get a lot of flooding just for that if we get a lot of rain. Um, But the Potomac doesn't usually cause too much issues. It's more being the in-town area. And then, of course, like we talked about earlier, all the standing water. Because coming down Winchester Grade Road, like I said, I, there must have been at least five different spots that if you, you know, luckily, of course, I wasn't driving that fast, but somebody who was driving faster than they should, and they hit that, they could easily go off into the ditch. Our guest this morning, Dick Myers, the Deputy Director of the Jefferson County Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. Anything else that you want to let the listeners know before we have to let you go? No, but just like we've talked about before, you know, just make sure that you're prepared and, you know, use caution and slow down if you need to. And aside from that, you know, we have everybody just stay safe. And if you need anything, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to your, um, you know, elected officials or your emergency managers or whoever you need to talk to if you have any problems going on. American Red Cross is a good asset for us during flooding. Um, you know, so if there's you know, with between the flooding and the power outages, if you have any and you need assistance, you know, just let somebody know and we can get that taken care of for you. All right, very good. Our guest, Dick Myers. Well, I hope you stay safe and dry today, and we appreciate you giving us the time. No problem. And like I say, we actually also, too, just so you know, one of the reasons probably why some people couldn't get through to you or couldn't answer you is we actually have an update that we have to do every – whenever we have this kind of weather, we update the state of West Virginia – emergency management division and so we were in the process of doing that too um but with berkeley getting back to berkeley county um according to randy Lilly, who is their um, emergency services director there uh there's a few road closures there he didn't post exactly what they were but there wasn't you know that much power outages or anything like that either there at this point in time well perfect thanks for answering the call this morning dick you're welcome. You guys have a good day. You too. Stay safe. All right. And again, that's uh, Deputy Director of Jefferson County Office of Homeland Security, Dick Myers. We've got a break to take, and we'll get to our next guest on the other side. You're listening to Panhandle Live. Local news now at panhandlenewsnetwork.com. Now back to Panhandle Live. 
Welcome back inside the Hoppy Crutchville building here on WEPM and WCST. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care. With two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville, online to at countryroadstire.com. Today, if you missed part of our conversation with Dick Myers of Jefferson County Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, uh, we're going to be posting this episode in our Spotify coming up here in just a couple of moments' time and updates all the way through the 6 o'clock hour in our newscasts. Uh, about the ongoing high water situations across the eastern panhandle. But with that said, Marcia, our next guest is joining us via phone. So we go to Charleston now <laughs> to uh, Jill Upson. She's the executive director of the Herbert Henderson Office of Minority Affairs and the Women's uh, the West Virginia Women's Commission. Welcome in. Thanks. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We're good. Did you guys get any kind of uh, bad weather down there? We have just had atrocious weather down here. It, we've gotten the wintry mix. Uh, we've had the heavy downpours last night, but fortunately driving in, and I don't live very far when I'm down here from the capital, I didn't see uh, any flooding going on, at least in my immediate vicinity, but uh, the weather has not been good down here. It's like a, a winter weather sampler. Yes, That's what we've got. <laughs> like a box of chocolates, only terribly, horribly wrong. So right. there you go. <laughs> on Monday, there's a very significant day, a uh, federal holiday. It is the uh, the day marking uh, commemoration of Martin Luther King Jr. And your office uh, has a lot of plans and has been doing things surrounding that. So just talk about that. Yes. So uh, every year, uh, as chair of the Martin Luther King Jr. State Holiday Commission, we plan a series of events, uh, beginning with a student contest. And that one's really nice because it gives an opportunity for us to partner with uh, the Department of Arts, Culture, and History because the arts are involved, and uh, one of the contests involves uh, film, song, um, posters, and there's one more that I'm not thinking of, uh, film, song, oh, essay. And so uh, we, it is a statewide contest, and I so appreciate you all letting me come on and talk about this contest every year because it's, uh, it's, our partner is up in Wheeling, the YWCA. So we get a lot of representation from students in the Wheeling area. Um, and then for the poster contest, since that's done down here in Charleston, we get a lot of representation from students in the Charleston area. And so we really want to encourage students statewide to enter these contests because it's just a really good opportunity for them to have their talents and their gifts showcased on a statewide level. And then, of course, there's the fun part of getting a certificate and getting to come down and uh, perform their song or read their essay. And then, of course, there's also uh, a very small um, cash gift that they get. So the first place winners will get $75, second place $50, and third place $25. And I was looking at the list. We, uh, we actually did a press release yesterday listing all of the student winners from around the state. And as I said, you know, you get a, a lot of representation from specific areas, but I was glad to see there was one student. Her name is Cameron Perry. Uh, she is in the seventh grade at uh, Martinsburg South Middle School, and she won first place. So that is a $75 cash prize for her uh, for her winning poster artwork. Very nice. So uh, that is going on this coming Saturday where we're going to honor the children and their families with a nice luncheon at the Culture Center. And then on Monday, we have our annual ecumenical service, uh, which features a dynamic speaker this year. Her name is Dr. Alicia Lewis. 
She's a professor at Western Union State University. And then we will have our symbolic march uh, from the culture center to the front of the Capitol where we will have our bell ringing ceremony. Um, and again, we have a lot of exciting uh, vocalists and choirs and just a lot of good things in store for people. That one is free and open to the public. And hopefully some of the, the lawmakers who are there uh, can come down and take part and encourage uh, some of the young folks who are there. Yes, they typically do. I was really happy last year that the uh, the Culture Center Theater, where we had moved the ecumenical service to from the church where we had held it for years, we simply outgrew the church. And uh, sure enough, a lot of the legislators came out and really packed that theater. Even though they had to leave to go back for the floor session, it was nice having them there, you know, for the hour that they were able to stay. Absolutely. Our guest this morning, Jill Upson, Executive Director of the Herbert Henderson Office of Minority Affairs. So, um, you know, obviously it's a federal holiday. It's a state holiday. Uh, What does the commemoration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s day mean to you? Well, I think it's important to not only me, but I think it's important for the younger generation. And so being in this position, it gives me an opportunity to, to really help the younger uh, generation understand the significance of what he was able to do and how he was able to do it. And I know in the current times that we live in, there's so much division and uh, just so much anger and rage and escalation. And his principles were the exact opposite of that and what he was able to accomplish by having a principle of nonviolence it's simply remarkable when you think about that. Not only did it change people's perception in this country, but it also changed laws that we had on the books and began to right a lot of wrongs, you know, with the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the passage of the Voting, Voting Rights Act. And he did it all maintaining that nonviolence was not going to be accepted in his movement. And I just think that's critical for the younger generation to learn about and to understand and hopefully to carry forward in their own lives. Well, like you mentioned, you talk about the younger generation. I mean, have you gotten an opportunity to read or, or, or kind of take in some of the submissions from, you know, some of the winners? I mean, wh- what do they kind of pull away from, from Dr. King's message? Well, it's, it's funny because when we do this program, I just kind of sit in the audience and I am just absolutely, I marvel over the gifts of these students. And so I have not read or, you know, heard their winning essays yet, all that judging is done at the Y uh, up in Wheeling. And so I'll be, you know, hearing it with the rest of the audience this coming Saturday. Uh, But they are always remarkable. And if people want to tune in, they absolutely can uh, watch our live stream of that event. The kids will, as I said, read their uh, essays and perform their songs. That's going to be live streaming at 12 noon from HOMA's Facebook page. And then West Virginia Public Broadcast is actually going to re-air it on January 19th at 8.30 p.m. So I would really encourage um, anyone listening now to really tune in and just watch, and you'll be so impressed with what these students are doing. Our guest this morning, Jill Upson, the Executive Director of the Herbert Henderson Office of Minority Affairs and the West Virginia Women's Commission. Wanted to ask you before we have to let you go, uh, any news right now on the minority expos that are um, that you have planned? We still have the Ransom Minority Business Expo coming up in April, oh, I believe it's April 5th. 
and uh, then the, the one that we do down in Charleston will be in October, and I don't have that date in front of me. And the only other date that I do want to mention to you, uh, just in case there are any teachers listening, is March 5th. That will be Women's and Girls Day, and that's open to middle and high school girls. Again, it's free. Uh, the registration link will be up and running, and we will send that out through uh, the public school email blast. All right, very good. Our guest this morning, Jill Upson, we really appreciate you uh, spending the time with us this morning and uh, telling us about all these wonderful upcoming events. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. And again, that's uh, Jill Upson. We've got another break to take. Our next guest will be joining us in studio. Man, it sounded as though she was experiencing an avalanche there a couple of times on the phone line. <laughs> she may not have heard that. It may have just been like No, her, I think she was just something that was rustling on a desk. Mm-hmm. But, you know, always something to keep you on your toes. We've got a break to take. More Panhandle Live coming up in just a moment. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg, it's Panhandle Live. Continuing the conversation here from the Hoppy Kerchival Building, as mentioned previously, Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home a full-service auto care with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville, online to countryroadstire.com today. Luke Wiggs, Marsha Kowalik with you. And Marsha, our next two guests joining us here in studio. That's right. We turn our attention to pre-K. And joining us from Berkeley County Schools, we have the Director of Pre-K Programs, Dr. Antoinette Funk, and the Assistant Director, Sarah Wolf. Welcome into both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So um, let's talk a little bit about pre-K in Berkeley County. How many students are taking advantage of this not compulsory program? Um, Correct. So pre-K is offered to any eligible student. It is not required or mandated, but the state of West Virginia does offer pre-K for all eligible students. And currently we are serving about uh, a little over 1,000 students um, in some form or capacity in a couple of different variety and ways. So talk about those different varieties and ways, because I know when when it became um, known that the state was going to be offering it as an option, um, there weren't enough classrooms in the physical buildings that we have here in the county. So um, outsourcing is probably not the right word, but we, you know, the county took advantage of of other providers to help out. So actually it's in policy, our policy 2525, um, West Virginia Universal Pre-K, it um, requires us to partner with daycares. Um, so we do partner currently with five daycare programs and Head Start. So, um, and we, that enables us to offer families, um, some more options if they need before and after care because those daycares can provide before and after care and then they can go to our pre-k program during the day so that's all in policy and we're always looking to expand um, our partnerships so if we have any um, private daycare settings you can always give me a call at our office I'm happy to have a conversation with you about what that could look like for us so we do have those settings then we also have pre-k programs in all of our um, primary, intermediate, middle, and high school classrooms. Are there any studies, I mean, you know, to talk about the importance of, of getting a, a child enrolled in pre-K? I mean, I went to pre-K. I turned out okay, I think. Are you sure? I mean, you know, <laughs> the jury's still out on that one, but uh, the advantages of, uh-huh. you know, starting a kid in education mm-hmm. early. So we um, rely on a lot of uh, studies and research from NEAR, and I don't have anything right handy to quote with you right now, but NEAR... Um, does look at a lot of, they do regular research. And um, the West Virginia Pre-K Universal Program actually is number six in the United States as far as 
the type of program and, and what we offer for students. Because, I mean, you'd have to say there's an, an opportunity with an education system top to bottom in West Virginia that's a little bit lackluster for, you know, reading and math skills to, to go ahead and get a jump on it. Is, mm -hmm. is that fair to say? So everything in pre-K is developmental. Um, you're not going to walk in a classroom and see them in a structured setting doing reading and writing. However, it's they're going to be involved in books. They're going to have a very rich language environment. Everything's labeled, and we really work to meet the kiddos where they are in developing those initial um, reading skills. Absolutely. We know that there are plenty of parents who would rather just spend that time with their kiddos at home and maybe have the luxury of being with them and, and instructing them. Uh, but for some, they don't have the luxury because they have to work. Um, it gives them an, an opportunity to have their students um, get into education a little early and get those early interventions if there is an mm -hmm. issue. Absolutely. So part of what we do, um, we are required to do child find and work with our families. So in order to be a participant in any of our pre-K programs, the eligibility is four years old by June 30th. And that is very cut and dry. There's no waivers. Um, you know, if you have a July 1 birthday, it's okay. You'll go next year uh, to pre-K. However, um, so that's for all of our four-year-olds. July 30th, we will have a spot for you somewhere. Um, if you have a child that is three that you do have con some concerns with, maybe developmentally, um, you can always call our office and we can, uh, we'll work with you, we'll talk with you, we'll set up some assessments and walk you through that. And we do provide services to students who are three that need some specialized services. And that's just a, a student by student basis. Yes. Yes. It is it just a, if, um, but any parent, if you, you know, as a parent, you feel like you, you know, you have some concerns about your child's development. If you're talking with your pediatrician or anything, you can call our office and we can work through that with you, set that up. And um, we go through the whole process. It is a process. So it's from beginning to end. And, um, you know, at the end, we'll, we'll use those uh, testing tests and see what it comes out as. So what are they learning in pre-K in Berkeley County Schools? So I'm going to let Sarah talk a little bit about our instruction and our um, what we follow as far as um, our standards. Mm -hmm. So we use the West Virginia Pre-K standards for ages three through five. Um, there are several domains. We have a domain for approaches to learning, math standards, English language arts standards, science standards, physical health and development standards, and creative arts standards. And they are taught by using what's called the creative curriculum. It's the state-adopted curriculum for pre-K, and it's also the most widely used um, preschool curriculum in the country. Um, so that looks like learning centers and units of study. So every classroom is made up of learning centers. There's a science center, a math center, toys and games, blocks, dramatic play. Um, and every week or so, the teacher comes up with a unit of study based on something that's, you know, seasonally relevant. Like this week, the kids are learning all about snow and ice. So <laughs> <Aren't we all? laughs> the teachers are bringing in ice for the kids mm -hmm. to experiment with melting salt. Um, I, I was in a room the other day and they had an igloo built. Oh Obviously <laughs> out of boxes. Somebody got a, you know, probably a really big gift for the holidays, but they had a great igloo um, and their imaginations are just awesome. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing the snow in. Kids are measuring the snow, scooping the snow. Uh, in one classroom, I saw the teacher had frozen some watercolors. And so the kids were actually painting with ice. So it's very hands on. 
um, play-based activities with the teacher there having supportive conversations with the children, asking them questions, prompting them, scaffolding them um, in these skills. Social-emotional skills are also very important as well, especially for our youngest learners. They're learning how to problem-solve, learning how to identify emotions in themselves and others, how to respond appropriately, um, and how to be a good friend. So those are all very important skills. I know this is an obvious question. The answer is yes. But when you guys, you know, look for an educator at the pre-K level, I mean, is that something that, you know, you go into education to, to teach high school history or to teach middle schoolers, but there are educators that are specifically, you know, specialized in, in, in educating three and four-year-olds? There, there are. So they have the early childhood mm-hmm. um, education degree. Um, and we do, we have had some people that have come from the higher levels and they've experienced pre-K and, and they go from maybe teaching 12th grade to a four-year, four-year-old. But they all have to be certified teachers. Um, our assistants have to go through the state and have their ECAT training. So, yes, there's definitely certification that comes with both positions. How does that work in those satellite branches where you're using, uh, you know, an outside, uh, you know, program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a a certified teacher there? Absolutely. So all of those classrooms, no matter where they're located, they are Berkeley County school classrooms. So they have to have um, same requirements for teacher and the teaching assistant. Some of the sites have a Berkeley County employee teacher. Some don't. We It just depends on how we're collaborating, but the requirements remain the same across the board. And even though you might be at that daycare, but if during that pre-K time from 745 to 145, because our programs do run shorter, they're only a six hour a day program, that is a Berkeley County school program for which we're responsible for. And an area of the state that's obviously infamous for growth. I mean, are you guys expecting, you know, these programs to you know, to continue to see an influx of students? Absolutely. We are, are, um, you know, COVID kind of hit everybody, I think, with some enrollment and just, you know, everywhere. But we are seeing continued growth. Um, Obviously, in our plan, uh, we are looking at building some pre-K centers, which I think is going to be wonderful to bring all of our teachers in together and have that collaboration. South Berkeley was mentioned as one of the ones. Mm -hmm. I know we we cover the Berkeley County Board of Education meetings. Um, So what, what does that look like? Is that going to be at the Inwood primary location? I believe so. And so it, it'll just be kind of a an area so, dedicated to the younger, younger learners? So we have um, Pikeside Learning Center right now that houses 12 classrooms, and they run just like a typical elementary school. You know, they have a building principal, they have a secretary, um, all the typical requirements of an elementary school. They just have pre-K classes. So that's how, you know, I would envision that. Um, they still have to do, you know, it runs just like an elementary school, but it's all pre-K. So if someone is just learning about this and they think, oh, my, my child is probably going to be at that age, I might want to take advantage of this. Um, is there bus service? Are there lunches? Mm-hmm. Are there snacks? How does that work? Those are great questions. So is transportation, we do not provide transportation. So that is not required in policy. So we do not provide transportation. However, if your student is eligible for some specialized services, they might be eligible for transportation as well. But our typical um, four-year-old students who enroll, we do not offer transportation. Parents do have to drop off and pick up, uh, do that. We have um, lunch and breakfast in all of our um, centers, in all of our classrooms. That all has to meet the West Virginia codes through child nutrition. Um, And our schedules look the same in all of our different sites. Um, You know, we have the 30-minute lunches, 30-minute breakfast. We have a rest time. We have an outdoor gross motor slash recess time mm-hmm. that's required. And this is all 
per policy. Um, now, the, parents can always pack, just like they would an elementary student. If um, their child doesn't like what's on the menu today, they can pack as well. So our guest this morning from Berkeley County Schools, uh, the director of the pre-K programs, Dr. Antoinette Funk, and the assistant director, Sarah Wolf, are with us. So, um, you know, on a, on a typical day, you said it's a, a six-hour day, um, and the parents are in charge of getting the child for the most part to and from. So that I guess that begs the question, if if I live in South Berkeley but my job is up here, can I choose where my student goes or is that kind of a lottery? How does that work? So enrollment will start for um, if I can talk a little bit about enrollment. Absolutely. So enrollment for the coming 24-25 year will start approximately in March. We are still panning out some of the details of that right now, having some meetings just going through all those details. Um, enrollment for pre-K is not zoned by your school. It is available spaces. We just have to make sure that we have a spot for every eligible student. Parents do not get to choose uh, schools. We did eliminate that in our enrollment process a couple of years ago. We, as we had talked about a little earlier, we're, we're getting pretty large. And so we have to, we have a system in place that we're working on um, for enrollment that, and it'll be on our website. It's not currently there yet, but it will be once we get everything finalized. But we do have a system in place. Um, We want to make sure our students are enrolled in the, what would be closest to their homeschool first and foremost. However, sometimes we do have those situations where maybe we live in South Berkeley, we work in the northern end, we can um, work with those families on a case-by-case basis. We can't guarantee anything, but we do want to be as um, flexible as we can with our families so that they can take advantage of this opportunity. Sarah, anything to add? No, I don't think so. Um, The only requirement for a child to come to pre-K is for a child to be four, so they don't have to be potty trained. They don't have to know how to tie their shoes. Teachers work with the students on on those skills throughout the year. Absolutely. So uh, once more, what is the window of registration and how can folks find out more? So we are planning to open registration in March. Um, Our website will always be um, updated with the latest information, but we will do, the county always does some shout outs. We do some uh, information out through social media and, um, obviously on our website so we want uh when we'll start in usually around march 1 and everything's online you can roll enroll online all the information is there you can go there now and look what we did last year Mm -hmm. you know the requirements for enrollment aren't going to change as far as the document and paperwork that you need um so if you want to go ahead and get prepared it's not a first come first serve basis but we will make sure and we always have a spot open for every eligible student Very good. Well, uh, ladies, we really appreciate you giving us the time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. We've got a break to take. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. It's Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg, it's Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network. Final segment of Panhandle Live for this Wednesday. Another edition of Metro News Talk Line standing by coming up here in just a couple of moments. House Speaker Roger Hanshaw to lead off the show, uh, and Senate President Craig Blair will be on as well. Uh, because, if I'm correct, yes, this is the first broadcast uh, from the AARP broadcast location at the state capitol. We'll, Hoppy will be on the scene talking about this upcoming legislative session. Uh, we also have, of course, that looming election cycle. We heard from Mac Warner yesterday and his office reporting that 132 candidates have filed certificates of announcement 
uh, with his office. And uh, Mac Warner was uh, a guest on yesterday's show. You can find that episode podcasted. Of course, he was going to have that interview live, was unable to do so because of the weather, got stuck on 68. But he came bearing gifts that uh, was a little bit of a curveball that our Daniel Woods was not expecting, Marcia. <laughs> so... So yeah, it was great that uh, that the secretary and uh, and Lee Dean, whom, whom you may remember, was in the Panhandle uh, a few months ago and, and showed up uh, in an Elvis costume because he's also a, an Elvis impersonator and a Jennings Randolph impersonator. But he's a field rep for the Secretary of State's office anyway. So they braved the elements, uh, went through that several hour traffic delay, and came uh, came over around the mid morning afternoon sometime and and they they brought cake. And and the we didn't know what the cake was. It looked like bunt cake, um, but it had a little bit of a kick. <laughs> and I I thought it was so funny. Daniel said I um, the cake burned going down. <laughs> I think it was I think it was butter rum. Um, and if it was a bribe to have us you know take care of you know covering elections for the state, you know well played. I didn't get to have a piece of it though. I mean, once that it's one of those things that you, you you don't necessarily know what you're bracing for until you take a bite of it. But once you know that you're dealing with a little bit of rum in there, is it a pretty good cake? It's very moist. Mm. Um, yeah, I and I don't. I'm not a drinker, but I I kind of knew what it was like as soon as I I had it. And uh, yeah, so just I I guess I told him I was going to share it with the office. So um, you're warned if you're listening out in the green room that that cake has a bit of a bite. Uh, but that was very very sweet. I didn't get to ask him. If he baked it or if if he was, you know, part of packaging it because it looked like a homemade cake. And it was uh, very nice of them to bring that by with some Christmas greetings and uh, and make the effort to, to come into the into the uh, studio. Because, you know, obviously this is a big year for him, uh, not only as secretary of state, but he's also a candidate running for governor. Indeed. And like we said, uh, you can catch that interview podcasted on our Panhandle News Network Spotify uh, as we go through the rest of the notes in the news cycle, of course, uh, we're still in a state of preparedness for the the high wind we're expecting and, you know, uh, keeping an eye on what's going on with the OPEC and we'll be providing updates throughout the day and our news cycle here at the top of every hour. You can hear newscasts three minutes past the hour. Want to play some sound from the Berkeley County Board of Education meeting that happened on Monday. Uh, and let's start with Superintendent of Schools Ron Stevens uh, talking about uh, the state budget. If you are within formula. We're over formula, so the three to five percent is not going to make our payroll. That's what, as he was talking about, we now need eight million dollars to be able to to meet just one payroll. And again, my apologies. That's the uh, the Berkeley County Board of Education budget that uh, Ron Stevens is referring to. Uh, the board approved a levy rate that will fall short of the needs of the system, uh, but will rely on savings to make it through uh, a tough couple of years. And it's been a tough couple of years, Marsha, reacting or rebounding from COVID. So uh, we appreciate Al Gage uh, covering that meeting for us. And uh, also, I mean, it wasn't just about the budget. Uh, super. Uh, President of the board, Patrick Murphy, uh, reacted to some numbers that they got regarding student absenteeism. I think that may be the middle one. But you have to come to work to get paid. It's a lesson that you have to be taught at some point. Otherwise, you're not going to be employed. I'm looking at students here who were promoted who missed 73 days out of 180. I saw one and the school is on watch. One missed 102 days. And yes, was promoted. They were here 43 percent of the time. So again, that's uh, Pat Murphy talking about attendance. Like you said, uh, you're not going to get paid if you don't show up, and you know it's going to be hard to continue to educate children if they're missing. Like he said, uh, over half of the school year. 
And um, it's interesting. I wonder how much, you know, obviously this is a board of education meeting. Um, how much impact can a board of education have on boots on the ground? You know, individual students, obviously they're looking at information about those students, but the students weren't, you know, presented in front of them. Um, you can't really, you know, as a board of education, how do you enact policy that encourages students to show up? Right. It, it's certainly a difficult thing to tackle. Uh, some somber news as well. We want to say, and again, we'll be featuring these stories throughout our news product. Three minutes past the top of each hour. Uh, there was a fatal crash in Jefferson County that claimed the life of a female driver. Um, a 2012 Honda Odyssey was traveling northbound around Chestnut Hill Road, uh, north of the three churches, but prior to Keys Ferry Acres, where the vehicle left the roadway, traveling down an embankment uh, and re-entered the roadway. The vehicle then went airborne before landing in a wooded area. Um, the driver, the female, was pronounced dead at Jefferson Medical Center. There were two children as well, ages 6 and 7, that were airlifted from the scene of the accident uh, into Fairfax. No update was given on their condition at the time. We'll continue uh, to update that story. We don't have the identity of the driver as well. And, and then, that story from the journal, by the way. Yeah, yes, that's a story from the Martinsburg Journal. Um, and uh, a couple of other things that we want to touch on as well. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office said a Virginia man has admitted to selling ghost guns in the Eastern Panhandle. That was Brandon Michael Record, age 29, of Purcellsville, Florida. Was, uh, oh, Purcellsville, Virginia. Uh, Virginia, okay. Uh, was uh, admitted to possessing and selling privately manufactured unregistered firearms. Uh, and there were three that were sentenced on federal charges to domestic violence incidents um, th th today as well. Brian Michael Lewis, who is of Levels, West Virginia, was sentenced to 60 months in federal prison um, for possession of a firearm by a prohibited person. Derek Wayne Bowers, age 44, of Hagerstown, was sentenced to 41 months for stalking. That was an interesting story. If you look at some of the details that they released in this, these um, uh this announcement came out this week. I believe um, the actions happened maybe yesterday as far as um, their, the, the um, prosecuting attorneys. Uh, yes, it, it said despite being subject to a protective order, Bowers placed more than 800 phone calls uh, to his victim during a 48-hour period and sent nearly 2,000 texts over a period of six months. And the last individual was Rodney Allen Mayhew, age 43, of Martinsburg, who was sentenced to 24 months for unlawful possession of a firearm. Again, uh, we'll continue to update you on these stories and the ongoing weather cycle that's happening um, outside here in the Eastern Panhandle in our news cycle that you can hear at the top of every hour. Anything else we want to touch yeah, on, Marsha? So the, the, um, that press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office is interesting because they um, these gentlemen uh, were convicted on domestic violence um, charges related to guns, related to stalking, but uh, that's kind of a relatively new tool in their toolkit um, locally to, to uh, charge folks with federal charges, which can sometimes, not always, but sometimes mean uh, harsher, harsher penalties. Um, also wanted to, to bring you back to uh, TalkLine's um, rundown this morning from, from the belly of the beast, as Hoppy likes to say, uh, the state capitol. Uh, one of his guests is going to also be uh, a candidate for governor, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. We'll be talking about the campaign, but also... Uh, payments to outside attorneys uh, on state lawsuits. Mm, very interesting. Well, like I said, it's it's House Speaker Roger Hanshaw to lead off the show for Hoppy, and uh, he's also going to be joined by Senate President Craig Blair. Hoppy's going to be on location a couple of days a week all the way through the legislative session. We'll have Metro News Talk Line every day at 10.06 until noon. We've got college basketball tonight. 
Shepard traveling just west of Philadelphia to take on Westchester. Myself and Parker Stone will have the call. That game will begin in the 7 o'clock hour. Then we've got high school basketball, Washington and Jefferson in girls on Thursday, Washington and Jefferson again in boys basketball on Friday. And then uh, coming up over the weekend, we've got some more uh, Shepherd University basketball as well. You guys ready for that kind of long trip? Oh, you do what you can. You yeah, taking the station van? You well, sure the tires so. are okay? I don't know. I guess we'll find out at the end of the trip, certainly. Um, but that's going to do it for us. If you missed any or part of today's show, we're going to be posting it on our Panhandle News Network Spotify coming up here in just a couple of moments. For Marsha Kavalik, I've been Luke Wiggs. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And the breeze will cease to be breathing. Like the stillness in the wind before the hurricane begins The hour that the ship comes in Then the sea will split and the ships will hit And the shoreline sands will be shaken And the tide will sound and the waves will pound And the morning will be WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.